0: Welcome to the 144th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. On a wintry Saturday in January 2014, over 225 people gathered in the southeast Minnesota community of Winona for the Land Stewardship Project's Citizens Frack Sand Summit. This day-long event provided an opportunity for citizens to address one of the region's most pressing environmental issues— the mining of silica sand for use in hydraulic fracturing of oil and gas reserves. It turns out Southeast Minnesota and Western Wisconsin have vast amounts of just the kind of silica sand the industry is looking for. During the past few years, Western Wisconsin in particular has experienced a kind of gold rush as massive corporations work to strip mine as much sand as possible and ship it to oil and gas drilling operations in places like Pennsylvania and North Dakota. The result has been decimated landscapes. Entire hilltops have been removed, ruining farmland and eliminating the natural water purifying services sand can provide. In addition, frac sand processing facilities are producing air and water pollution. To top it off, rural roadways are being inundated with an unprecedented amount of truck traffic that's dangerous, polluting, and harmful to the transportation infrastructure of small communities. Now the frac sand industry has its eyes on southeast Minnesota and has in recent years used intimidation, government lobbying, and in some cases outright misinformation to get a foothold in the region. But citizens are fighting back. With the help of the Land Stewardship Project, several communities have established moratoriums on frac sand mining and processing while they develop planning and zoning regulations. In addition, LSB members and others have been organizing at the State Capitol, where they are calling for strict regulations on frack sand activities, including an outright ban on the industry in Southeast Minnesota's fragile karst region. The Frac Sand Citizen Summit brought together people to share strategy, learn from experts, and strengthen the movement to keep frack sand mining from destroying communities in Southeast Minnesota and beyond. Featured speakers included citizens, local government experts, farmers, energy experts, and scientists who are doing cutting-edge research on the effects of silica sand exposure. This podcast is a third in a series of programs featuring excerpts of presentations from the summit. In this installment, Michael McCauley of the School of Public Health at West Virginia University discusses the health threats posed by the very small ultrafine particles produced by surface mining operations. McCauley is a leading national expert on ambient air quality monitoring and assessing risks to human health.
1: What I'm going to 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 talk about today are ultrafine particles. This is different than PM10 and PM2.5. PM10 means particulate matter less than 10 micrometers. PM2.5 means particulate matter less than 2.5 micrometers. What I'm going to be talking about is PM0.1. That's a tenth of a micrometer in size and about the toxicology of PM.1 particles. Uh, Because this is something that's been studied a great deal in Europe, but not in the United States. We're just starting to catch up on this. This is going to be information that we got from studying mountaintop mining, uh, because we saw a certain disease group related kind of diseases um, that would seem to indicate that they would have Uh, exposure to these PM.1 or ultrafine particles and uh, to give away the the end of the story, because I always like to read the end of the book first, what we found was in fact that the real delineator for health appears to be the exposure to these PM.1 particles, not the PM10, not the PM2.5. And the reason why I'm here is to warn you that PM. point PM.1 is not something that a regulatory agency would normally be looking at. And so if you've got a mining operation, it would pay, I think, to protect your health by taking a look to see if the mining operation produces um, levels of these ultrafine or PM.1 particles as high as what we saw in southern West Virginia because the health effects that we saw, which I'll detail in a moment, um, are pretty severe. And I'll also show you that there is a way of doing this kind of sampling. And in fact, uh, the MPCA has some of the equipment that they can do this with because they're doing the study for the EPA with that equipment right now. And in fact, the equipment itself is made in Minnesota. So what are the effects of ultrafine particles? Simply put, this is technical jargon. But simply put, in children, it will seem to either exacerbate or perhaps cause asthma. In people over 65, it will cause or exacerbate cardiovascular disease. And in a broad range of subjects, it will cause cancer. And so these are three different disease groups uh, that are associated with ultrafine particles in the literature and when we looked in southern West Virginia at the problems there and the health of the people what we were seeing was cardiovascular disease cancer and pediatric asthma so my immediate suspicion was that we ought to be monitoring for the ultrafine particles now how small is a tenth of a micrometer well a human hair is a hundred micrometers in diameter so it's a thousand times bigger than a tenth of a micrometer particle. And in fact, a tenth of, the micro, of a micrometer particle is the upper end of the size that we're interested in. The lower end is about one-tenth to one-one-hundredth of that. And in fact, we even have to change the name of the scale. We don't talk about them in terms of micrometers anymore. We now talk about them in terms of nanometers. And a nanometer is one-one-thousandth of a micrometer so we were looking at 20 to 100 nanometer size particles. When you're talking about particles that small you're not talking about much mass in the atmosphere either and now PM10 and PM2.5 are usually measured by the amount of mass of dust of that size that's in the air. For particles that are smaller than half a micrometer and certainly smaller than a tenth of a micrometer. Probably the best way of monitoring is by the number of particles there, counting them out. So if one had, for instance, a group of different kinds of fruit, raisins and pumpkins, it would take a lot of raisins to weigh as much as a pumpkin. And what you're measuring with PM10 are pumpkins. You're measuring mass. But what we think is the health effect is due to the raisins and the number of raisins that are there. So we're going to talk in a different set of terms for the kind of metric we use. So we're going to talk about the number of particles per volume of air, particles per cubic centimeter of air, rather than micrograms or milligrams per cubic meter. And we're also going to talk about lung deposition, because a particle has to deposit in the lung to contribute a dose to the lung or to the body, for that matter, if it's inhaled. And you would think PM10 and PM2.5 are measures of dose. In other words, measures of how much deposits in the lung. They are not. Let me repeat that. PM10 and PM2.5 are not measures of what deposits in your lung. They are therefore not a measure of dose. So if you think you're being protected by them, you're not. That's plain toxicological fact that a lot of people actually aren't aware of. And I talk about this thing that I I mentioned in a lot of my talks as the equivalent of kicking the EPA in the shins. Because the EPA came up with these definitions for PM10 and PM2.5. Of course, I've been on committees that have said, yes, go ahead and use that. In fact, my background is I have been a consultant to government, I have been a consultant to private industry, I have worked for, as a consultant, the Department of Energy, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and NASA. In fact, I just uh, reviewed all of the toxicological information We're developing a standard for exposure to lunar dust on the moon. So we get to do interesting things. But this is not a measure of dose when people talk about PM10 and PM2.5. PM10 is that upper line. And that is the collection efficiency of a monitor, monitoring PM10, by particle size. So in other words, not all particles are collected with the same efficiency by this monitor. And the idea is to match that up with the collection efficiency of the lung, which is the lower line. Now, when my kids were little, there was Sesame Street on, and they'd have these things. Which one of these things is not like the other? Which one of those things is not like the other? The deposition curve on the bottom is the same, supposedly, as the sampling curve on the top. Do they look alike? Do they give you the same result? No. They can be off by as much as 600%, depending upon the size of the dust. Now, if the dust were always the same size everywhere, all of the time, it wouldn't matter. But the dust is not always the same size all of the time, everywhere. And so it does matter. And my friends at DP like to quote that they get this relationship with PM 2.5 over a small number of locations. Well, if you look only at a small number of locations, you can get a correlation with almost anything. And that's how they do it for the PM2.5. It's not a measure of dose. So at least they should have something better than PM10 and PM2.5. But really my concern are those particles that are towards the left-hand side of that graph. The left-hand side of that graph is where we think much of the toxicity resides in particles that are smaller than a tenth of a micrometer. So we did this study in southern West Virginia of mountaintop mining. Here are the areas where we looked, we did. If you see the little tiny blue and uh, red dots, those are the areas where the mountaintop mining is going on. You can see it follows this one swath. We had a control area outside of that swath that we compared for health effects and we compared for the environmental levels. And what we found was that when we came down right there at the bottom to the total number of particles per cubic centimeter in the air they were statistically higher in the area in which we found disease than they were in the control area. They were statistically higher in the area where the mountaintop mining was particularly active. And so these seem to be associated with mountaintop mining activities. It's an association. It's not causality Let me stress that. As a scientist, I want to make sure you understand that correlation and causality are two different things. I tell my students that you can get a correlation between the number of butterflies in the air and the number of ice cream cones being eaten because they're related to the same thing, the onset of hot weather. So eating ice cream cones does not cause butterflies.
0: (laughs) Oh, it's the other way around. Yeah.
1: And so there's a difference between causality and correlation. What we have here is correlation. Uh, But we think there may be some underlying reasons why, in fact, there may be causality going on. And when we looked at the uh, materials that we were sampling, we were finding that the makeup of this was mostly what you'd see in soil, crustal overburden, as it's called. And there's silica in there, of course, as well. Uh, Now, I did a lot of work When I was with uh, the government, I was with the National Institute for Occupational Safety and Health, which is part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. And my two areas of primary research were silica and diesels. And both silica and diesels have been declared carcinogens. They were declared carcinogens because of the research work that I started. The kind of health effects we see are that There are cardiovascular effects in animals when we expose animals to ultrafine particles. There's a higher than average amount of uh, age-adjusted mortality per 100,000 years of people living in this area. So people die sooner and at a faster rate in these areas in southern West Virginia that have this exposure. They have a higher level of self-reported cardiovascular symptoms. They have a higher rate of lung cancer deaths in this area with the higher levels of ultrafine particles. They have a higher rate of non-cancer lung disease deaths. And essentially, mountaintop mining, which is surface mining, is not a good thing for the people living in the area. So we think that when we look at the ultrafine exposure literature from Europe, that this is certainly in along the same lines of what's being found in Europe where they use a lot of diesel uh, engines in their cars, trucks, and buses. And of course you get ultrafine particles from diesel engines. A lot of it. Uh, But you can get ultrafine particles from a lot of other things going on um, and even mechanical operations. Uh, look like it's possible to generate some of these ultrafine particles. So the question is, what are the concentrations in the air around here? And the answer is, we don't know. And so something like this should be done. We were talking uh, to folks from the NPCA yesterday about trying to do some of this and about trying to use some of the equipment they've gotten from the EPA to take a look in these areas and see if this is uh, potentially a problem around where some of the frac sand mining is going on. Um, The suspicion is, if it was a problem in West Virginia, it's probably going to be a problem here.
0: For more information on the Citizens Frack Sand Summit, see www.landstewardshipproject.org and follow the Organizing for Change links to the Report from the Citizens' Frack Sand Summit page. There you will find a PDF copy of Professor McCauley's Ultrafine Particle Exposure and Surface Mining presentation. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you could call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members, who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.